Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. I'm joined by Barbara Bullock, retired curator of the Azalea Collection from the U.S. National Arboretum. How are you doing today, Barbara? Hi, Kathy. Good afternoon. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. So how is retirement? It's the best. It's like summer vacation for as long as the eye can see. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I love my garden, and I am gardening like crazy. I am uh, still doing azaleas like crazy, so um, anything I can help anybody without azalea information, happy to impart. Great. So I will talk today about azaleas, azalea tips, maybe some favorite varieties. Um, uh-huh. let's, first, let's talk about your garden. So now that you get to do it full time, um, <laughs> are you finding that uh, you're getting finally to plant up all those pots that have been sitting on the wayside waiting for you? Oh, my goodness. I have not. I went to Banky's, and I went like three times and loaded my car up last spring. <laughs> I grew, I bought every single thing I never ever had wanted, always wanted, lilacs, magnolias, amelanchier, pieris, um, calmia, and uh, bald cypress, and cornice, and I mean, everything. And I have been designing my garden here in my yard, my little quarter acre, and it's it's fabulous. I'm just like, we, I just put lighting in my backyard. This Ooh, that's a nice I hired idea. a guy. Yeah. I hired a company, and um, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, garden the name of the company. Oh, go ahead. Ahead. go ahead. Garden Appeal, Nathan Camp. He used to work with me at the Arboretum, and this is his own company. And he, he installed, installed drainage, stone paths, and dark and beautiful lighting. Cut out leaves with light that comes through the cutout. It, and it, oh, it's just fantastic. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So, Garden yeah. Appeal is the name of his company. Of his, his business, yes. Of his business. Wow, fabulous. So you must have a lot of space if you can fit in things like bald cypress. I just packed it in behind the weeping hemlock <laughs> yesterday after I cut down the Dawn Redwood that had been growing there for 20 years and had kept dying branches everywhere. So I flattened the Dawn Redwood, used the edging, made it into edging, and I um, planted the bald cypress back there, palm cypress actually. Um, and it was, uh, one of the palm cypresses I just got from the uh, Four Seasons Garden Club plant sale that never happened. So <laughs> I went to there. I went there and bought their plants that you know because we had all these plants backed up. I went and bought two different truckloads of plants from from Jim and Dan's holding area, nice. with the Four Seasons Garden Club. So I'm planting. I planted variegated dogwoods. I'm planting um, Japanese maples that I grew from seedlings, and I've got. It's just fantastic. It's my garden. I've got a new fire pit in area out in the middle of the backyard where I'm determined not to plant. I'm going to leave it as a place. <laughs> <laughs> I love Famous last gardener words. This is the area I'm not planting it. <laughs> well, I put a, a real uh, like, uh, stone circle so that it's mm-hmm. a fixture and and um so it's and I've limbed up I've limbed up all the trees so that the fire has plenty of circulation. I actually elevated my yellow wood um, so that it will grow taller. So because it was starting to fountain, and it's a beautiful yellow wood cordastus um, lutea that I grew from a little seedling that's now 40 feet tall, and it's beautiful. It's just getting ready to start to flower, but I really um, made it narrow so that the fire pit area would stay. Uh, intact, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I've got azaleas in bloom, all kinds. I've got all sorts of favorites I can tell you about. <laughs> but it's it's because I'm such a specialist. I know that there were favorites that I had at the beginning of March that are different in the middle and different from the end and different <laughs> in May and different in April. Oh, so yeah. I've, I mean, it's been lots of favorites. <laughs> 
Exactly. So for listeners, I'm going to rewind a little bit and say thank you where you got all these treasures from last year. Yeah. Uh, thank you Nurseries was a local gardening institution. Yeah, um, and I worked for them for four years. Wow. I worked for them full-time as a grower from 83 oh. to 87, yeah. I didn't so know that. I, um, I really was family, and those people were my family, and they taught me everything. Well, they were my best education in uh, actual practical, hort- you know, working and growing and horticulture mm-hmm. stuff. So, of course, yeah. I went there and loaded up my car before mm-hmm. they, they they closed after, I don't know, 50 years, 40 years, 50 oh, yeah. years. Oh, far more than that. I think it was I don't their, know. they were approaching their 75th, I believe. I believe so. Down. Yeah. Uh, and I know so many local horticulturists who got their start at Banky's who, who yeah. said, I worked part-time in high school for yeah. uh, Mr. Banky. So that's it's wonderful to hear all that. I worked for years. Mr. Banky, too. Mm-hmm. I got to know him. And I worked for t- full-time for four straight years. So that was right. really wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, that's definitely a wonderful training ground. Yeah, um, and he, they were so knowledgeable and such a great staff. And so, I grew crops. Yeah, I, oh. I grew crops under Mike Bordelon. So mm-hmm. Mike Bordelon was my boss when I was at Banky's, and mm-hmm. he taught me about growing. That was the best. So it was mostly vegetables that you were growing. Oh well, no, we grew everything. We grew year-round. Uh, poinsettias mm-hmm. beginning in January. We'd have fuchsia plants and other uh, plants for starting cuttings for the annual hanging baskets that we would have under mist. We'd start plug trays with annuals. Then we'd receive in the poinsettia cuttings mm-hmm. for the next season and the mum cuttings, and we'd raise chrysanthemums. And then if we were not busy, we'd help perennials. And mm-hmm. I worked with Eva Cassidy um, all those years, too. She was one oh. of my good friends, and, musician, extraordinary yeah. artist. And, and yeah, so, such a beautiful voice. So and we loaded trucks, we filled pots, we shipped plants. We, we It was a year-round, um, wonderful, every year-round growing. It was keeping two acre-enclosed greenhouses plus 15 hoop houses full. And then we also had outside beds for perennials to overwinter under plastic. So I got an education on all the different ways of handling container plants, basically. Wow, that was a wonderful education and what, a, yeah. what an experience. And listeners, if you have not heard Eva Cassidy's voice, yeah. you need to go to YouTube and just enter her name yeah. and just sit back, pull out a box of Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> Once you good. heard her story, you get the Kleenex. Yeah. But she's, her voice yeah. is just sublime. Her voice is like, I would compare it to Karen Carpenter. Like that's the type of voice and tone she has and just really emotional, um, uh-huh. connecting voice. Yeah, and she also was an amazing, very good artist. Painter, drawing, uh-huh. illustration, mm-hmm. hand-making things. She was just an amazing artist, uh, too. Such a talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we find that so many plant people are creative in many aspects of their lives. Yeah, That's yeah. So great. I and have then, a degree in fine art, <laughs> too. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that in 81 and 91, I got horticulture. So. And then but, you yeah. But and those worlds overlap a lot, you know. There's yep. a lot of artistic touch to designing a garden. And it is it's so much fun. Yep. So at my home garden, I am growing all the different layers of plants, from ground covers like Uvularia or Epimedium or Lily of the Valley or uh, May Apple or mm-hmm. uh, even Wildflower have ephemerals. I've got all these wonderful little ground covered areas underneath the azaleas, which I have a hundred, two hundred, I don't know, three hundred in my little quarter acre, and then I have my rhododendrons and boxwood and viburnums and um, magnolia, young young understory trees, and then mm-hmm. smaller and I've got vines. I've got Lonicera sempervirens on two different trees, just in full bloom right now. One is growing halfway up on a big white oak I've grown since it was only two inches tall. White oak came from Natural Landscapes Nursery as a little two-inch seedling. And now it has Lonicera sempervirens in full bloom, hanging all in its branches. Mm-hmm. And it's spectacular. And that's uh, the native little coral um, honeysuckle. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I have it in two places in my yard. And I have a white, variegated Parthenosis is growing up a white pine tree that I've had in this yard for um, 30, 
something years, and it's, so it's a, a nice size white pine, mm-hmm. and it's going to look really neat with the white parthenocystis growing up it. So yeah, uh, a lot of layers and layers and layers. I've got clematis tumbling over top of rhododendron minus um, buoy, which is mm-hmm. a wonderful cultivar of a small leaf rhododendron that's getting ready to come into bloom, and it's kind of spreading and sprawling and. Um, a lot of my things I do in, in, at this time of year is I dig out rooted layers and give them to people. Mm-hmm. I've already moved azaleas around in my yard that mm-hmm. proved to be too big where they were growing or others mm-hmm. too small. I've already cut back azaleas and things that had flowered. The best time to shape them or to, to remediate, remedial prune is right after they flower. So you catch them at their, and during their growth of flush, flush of growth that occurs after you cut it, mm-hmm. and I've I've cut back um, in my little yard a couple truckloads already, and wow. I, um, put it all in the back corner where I have compost that just, I step on it, break it down, it's just the same pallet, it's a pal- four pallets um, uh, dimension, and it's as tall as I can make it, and I just keep heaving everything I cut in this yard into it, and it just keeps taking it all. Believe me, I don't know how. I, I don't know how. I don't know how. But it's a, yeah. Yeah. I've already, and I've already weeded, weeded vines. I've already weeded like 10 foot of English ivy that got into my yard and poison ivy, and I've already yeah. weeded out um, bitters, I mean, oriental bittersweet in my yard. And so I'm just saying these are things that I've already done this spring. Yeah, this in the really, last few weeks. We were talking earlier before we started recording that it's been such a great spring for gardening. Yes. Uh, yes. Such a long, cool, um, yes. and, and, and enough wet and enough dry days that you can get out there. Yeah. And um, we haven't had that 95-degree day that just blew out all the bulbs. Right. It made the tulips open up wide and then died. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a, yeah. uh, almost, I would say, English-like spring. It's been amazing. I mean, um, as a retiree, I am like, ready, I was ready for this, to have my every day available to work in my own yard. Mm-hmm. But it's happening to the rest of the po- population, too. <laughs> and I'm seeing all my friends' gardens on Facebook posts, and um, and uh, I'm just loving all of the all my friends, you know, gardening. Mm-hmm. It's just great. And we were talking, uh, you had mentioned Four Seasons Garden Club, where you had yeah. gotten some recent plant purchases, because normally Four Seasons Garden Club, which is a garden club um, that spans the D.C. area and meets at each other's homes, and is mainly made up of plant geeks, is what yeah. I call them. So yeah. these are people who are like hardcore plant geeks, and they have a very <laughs> active um, discussion group. And so there's a lot of conversation going back and forth about that, you know, debating Latin names and what's the best cultivar, this and that. So if you're a diehard plant geek, you know, look up the Four Seasons Garden Club. That's the, the local garden club for you. Um, but, yeah, it's disappointing that uh, they have potted up a lot of member plants and Which was a big, them. wonderful mm-hmm. initiative. It was a huge yeah. initiative, and everyone worked together and helped pot up all these bare roots that that were ordered ahead of time, and so you have to deal with it. And we all pitched in early March, and we did it, and and then suddenly the world changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully, so mostly they sell at two events, which is the American Horticultural Society's Spring Garden Market in April, and then the Green Spring Garden's big spring plant sale in May. Um, so missing both those events, I, you know, obviously selling to members first, then maybe Jim and Dan, who do a lot of the um, plant schlepping, will probably figure out another way to get those plants out. Well, since the everything was just potted up, they mm-hmm. can hold on to it and grow it until yep. next spring. And <laughs> so those guys are the best, especially Jim, that he can, you know, to have overseeing that stuff. And whatever doesn't yeah. sell, they'll, they'll just keep it and, and raise it, keep it growing. Mm-hmm. And I use the term the pot ghetto because that's what my driveway is. <laughs> um, you know, hundreds of little plant pots of divisions and things that I'm yeah. bringing to plant swaps or I'm going to share with garden club members. So yeah. those are always coming and going. So yeah. that's that's the mark of a, a real.
real diehard plant geeks in my yep. book is that like, yep. ghetto. <laughs> I actually have a potting table outside, and um, underneath it are at least, I don't know, 500 plastic pots that I've saved so that once my my perennial clumps and others get to size, I am planning to be able to pot them up and donate them to plant sales and plant exchanges too. Yeah. So that's my future plan. <laughs> right. So let's talk about um, where you just retired from, the U.S. National Arboretum, which is yeah. within the District of Columbia in Washington, D.C., and it's under the USDA, so under the Department of Agriculture. Yep. And you were in charge of the Azalea Collection, which is on a large hillside. I Best think. job ever. Yep. <laughs> Best and, job ever. And it, that was your <laughs> baby. And oh, it was so much fun. Three, 30 years and um, the same um, area of forest, um, large, um, 20, 30 acres, something like that. Sliding number, depending on who's counting. Um, I took care of the road, across the road, the trees that hung over the road. I took care of, of above the azaleas, up above the drainage that led into the azaleas. I, um, you know, I took care of the whole thing, and it was wonderful, complex, beautiful, um, just large, immense, plenty to do, and the best volunteers that came in. Week after week after week, year after year after year, so much they're still friends. We're still friends now. They're family to me now, even in retirement. And it's it was the best job. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah, what an opportunity to to garden in one garden and shape it for whole three yeah for three decades. And yeah, it, it is it is one of the Washington rites of spring to go and see the azaleas. I highly the recommend it. There's so many varieties that you just would never have known existed. You've got to go there and see the variety. And every couple of weeks it switches over. The palette totally changes. And so the things that were blooming two weeks earlier are gone, and the next two weeks things come out. And it's just, you know, I've, mm-hmm. been, I've been planting there every, every season the whole mm-hmm. time. And so it, it was B.Y. Morrison who founded... Um, the Arboretum, who was a huge um, azalea breeder. I wouldn't call it founding, but I would say he was majorly involved Mm -hmm. with getting it publicized because he was the first director before it was open to the public. And um, it was actually founded by an act of Congress and Garden Club people, Garden Club of America, in fact, and all these other gardeners from the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And Morrison was hired there and in 1928, and the Arboretum was founded as an act of Congress in 1928. So he was involved in the inception and the building and the designing and the overall planning mm-hmm. and, and development of it for sure, big time. And I'm so fortunate uh, that I just happened to buy a house in the neighborhood that he lived in. Right. <laughs> And it was so so yeah. funny. Shared plants with all his neighbors, and he taught people how to grow the plants. And he was a, also an artist. He illustrated. He started the American Horticultural Society by by creating a, um, a, a like a woodcut woodblock mm-hmm. for a cover, and just typed up and mimeographed um, articles. And he drew the horticultural community of the United States together and created like do's and then supported the publication of gardening books, including the first garden book on azaleas that was published in 1958. Right. And so he, he, his, he, he was behind that. And by 1958, he was at the Arboretum, and uh, Fred Lee was writing the Azalea book, um, and that was also uh, the beginning of the Men's Garden Club, kind of mm-hmm. emerged from Fred Lee and that crowd. And so gardening in our nation's capital area became – giant pastime, and this would have been in the 60s, and it right. correlated with us at the Arboretum and Morrison, and then John Creech, and then, I mean, Henry Skinner after Morrison, and then John mm-hmm. Creech really built the Arboretum up, and it became this wonderful collection of all wonderful horticulturalists and famous breeders and, and beautiful gardens that it is today. Well, and I've been spending the last... Um, week or so, walking around the Tacoma Park neighborhoods and photographing azaleas and yeah. trying trying to guess 
was this a Glendale introduction? Is this not? <laughs> and which ones might have come from his yard? And I walked by his old home, uh, yeah. which obviously has changed owners a couple times since then. And I yeah. always wonder if the, the current owners know what a treasure they have. Uh, uh-huh. But you can see from standing out from that residence around, a couple blocks around, the sprinkling yeah. of the azaleas that this, yeah. cutting, this cutting went to this person, this cutting went to this person. So it's yeah. lovely to see that at least that those are still in existence. Well, he was a real-born grower. And so he had actually so many plants at home that he actually supplied plants back to the arboretum <laughs> multiple times. And he had not only Glendales at home, he had the parents of the Glendales at his home, too. And um, one of the main parents of the Glendales are the Kurumi hybrids. And those are the early, early um, little tiny flowering, um, beautiful orange, I mean, not orange, uh, coral, uh, salmon, purple, magenta, white flowering. Um, The earliest of the evergreen azaleas to bloom were bred into these tall, big, tall, hardy species azaleas like the torch azalea, rhododendron camphorae, and rhododendron micronatum, and he'd hybridized that for hardiness, so he crossed that with the kurumis, and he brought larger flowering, larger growing plants into, and that's why the glendales are larger flowered and hardy and tall growing. And, mm-hmm. But there's so many species that he utilized during the 20 years of his breeding, that you'll see a lot of variety. You won't just see the same typical characteristics. There's mm-hmm. a lot of variety. Yeah, so his main goals were obviously hardiness for our region. Yeah, and extending the, the bloom, mm-hmm. extending, extending the season the bloom, bloom. and um, also extending the hardiness maybe to outside the region, so the values are you know, could go up to New York State and that sort he of did. thing. He sent them yep. all around, and we we found that they did not do as well. I mean, the Arnold Arboretum, I think, dismantled their Glendales that they had yeah. left. But he missed, but Morrison sent them to everybody around, the people he had become acquainted with through his horticultural magazine, and all around the country, and he sent them to England, and he um, he got them established in different places. In some places, they did better than others. So um, I, I think they even had trouble with them at Longwood. Yeah. So um, they were, I mean, but then, you know, depending on certain places, it just mm-hmm. certain ones were were hardier than others. But, yes, he worked very hard and shipped them around and sent them out and gave them to people, and just it was um, a passion. And he did it after he retired for another, for the rest of his life, he hybridized. But they mm-hmm. called him backacres once he retired. <laughs> and he called so, them backacres. Nice. So um, I was going to talk about two different ways you could collect azaleas. Um, First is what I recommend, which is the wardrobe approach of having early, mid, and late season bloomers so that Mm -hmm. you have a progression of bloom either across your yard or in discrete groups. So there's something blooming at all times um, for several months instead of, what I find a lot of beginning gardeners doing is they go to a big box store on Mother's Day weekend. They pick out that azalea that's in bloom that day. Yep, <laughs> and they buy five of them. Yep, and then add them to their yard, and then they'll always have that same couple weeks of bloom every year, but nothing right. before and after. Right. Do you have any recommendations for early, mid, and late um, pairing? Well, I mean um, uh, pairing, um, early, mid, and late pairing. Um, well, I, I actually early was planting, was growing um, hardy firefly, Carmenata um, uh-huh. splendens, Ayanokumuri, Fudasodiyama, Dayspring, which is a Glendale. What I was listing were a bunch of cultivars of Karumis. Those are the uh-huh. earlies. Then now it's mid-season, and mid-season is kicking in, and I love my Midnight Flare, which is a really dark red Harris that's sprawling and spreading. I've got this beautiful... Um, um, later blooming um, Amy, which is a Tom Dodd hybrid of, of gorgeous mid-season Amy. Oh. Dauntless, which is a Glendale, um, is now oh. coming into bloom. And I love purple. Uh, purple. I love Dauntless. Um, yeah. I've got um, Carafune, which is a Kurumi that's like black, red. I tend to like the dark reds because mm-hmm. it contrasts with my green foliage. Um, Tina's World is a Bowie mill that um, has a beautiful strappy purple flower 
that is not like um, Karoma shikabu. It's more, it has a little more magenta or fuchsia in, in its petals. And um, it's a really cool looking one. And it's spelled Tina's World, W H O R L E D. Tina's ah, World. And um, because the petals are world in an interesting hmm. way. Cicadera, which is also called Indica Magnifica, is a beautiful mid-season. I have it. It's all over to come apart. It's like mm-hmm. almost almost a white flower with a dark pink blotch on every single flower, and it's like these eyeballs looking at you. It's from distance because it's so pretty. But it's yep. this Cicadera, and then um, so and then I have Sandra's Green Ice, which is uh, a double white with like a green green blotch in the center, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful late. I mean, mid-season white, um, similar to the one we call hardy gardenia, which is not a gardenia. That's the cultivar name that uh, Linwood gave. And then when I also have one that I collected as a mid-season, Wagner's White Spider. And it's a really cool one that I planted uh, and grew a bunch of for the Arboretum. And then we have our late-season stuff that's going to be coming along. And a lot of those can be mixed in a little bit with satsuki and can become broad, spreading, and they're very dark evergreen plants, and they root and layer and root and layer. And they are just, there. a lot of that hybridization has been in the Robin Hills. So your satsuki and Robin Hills are of the late ones. And in my yard, I have Midori, which is sort of a satsuki-looking um, hot pink. And then I also have Robin Hill Gilly, which is a satsuki-looking hot, bright orange, and those are two in my front yard sprawling. And I've already had to chop them back because they'll engulf everything else in my front yard. And I chopped them back before they even came into bloom and gave mm-hmm. them to people. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's worth always keeping an eye on those things, um, but they will do that. And so I have a lot of late-blooming things. And then I have deciduous azaleas. And I am telling you, there are so many beautiful deciduous azaleas. And right now, in the beginning of um, blooming and all over the place, are my rhododendron austrinum that I grew from seed. And they're everything from yellow to orange to kind of pinkish orange, deciduous. And they grow upright and you know lose their leaves in the winter. And they just kind of fit in between the azaleas. And my, they just all fit in different levels of height, and these grow tall, brilliant oranges and yellows, and they're just hanging out over my sidewalk, and my neighbors are just like, wow. <laughs> to me, they contrast wonderfully with the um, magentas and pinks and purples. I don't I don't mind it a bit. I think they mm-hmm. look fantastic. And, um, but later will be the rhododendron arborescence and prunifolium, and prunifolium will bloom red flowers all the way in July and August really pretty. Yeah, and I, well, you have added one to my must-get list, which is that good new world you mentioned. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really amazing. Tina apostrophe S, Tina's world. Mm-hmm. And it's a Bowie Mill hybrid, and Bowie Mill um, is hybridization. His was, it's right out there in Alney is where he was doing his work. And a lot of his plants, and a lot of these plants that I've listed can be got from Mike White's nursery out in Germantown, if you... Mm-hmm. Um, are aware of that nursery? Oh yeah, they're uh, they're a friend of Washington Gardener magazine. We love Good. we love them. Oh. Uh-huh. They have they will have all of the cultivars, or if they don't, they can come to my house and get cuttings. <laughs> <laughs> and they they normally have an open garden um, towards the end of May. They're the still they're, they're still good. trying to get people by appointment, even now. Mm-hmm. Even now okay, in good. April and in, in, in May, yes, they, they've been posting out there that by appointment they would be happy to see you. Great. And so I was saying that was the early and late season method of choosing your azaleas and blending them in. Um, and then you kind of touched on the color combination. So that's your other way of maybe shopping or designing yes. your azalea yes. selection. Yes. Is, do you want to contrast? Do you want to go with a uh, oh, I'm all about contrast. Mm-hmm. I'm all about contrast, and I mean, I've been putting whites at the end of pointed beds, and I've been having others that, like I have rhododendron indicum lacinatum that's just foliar right now, but it'll bloom in um, end of May, and it's I just contrast, and then I have a boxwood, and then I'll have a rhododendron, and then I'll have a tree, and then I'll have another lower uh, a calmia, and then I'll have another azalea, and I'll just keep contrasting. And then 
I I tie everything together by um, dividing certain kinds of perennials that stay in this one spot. So this one spot in my yard will have the same daffodil collection there and also hostas, or this spot will have pacara in front of um, the native azaleas, uh, native mm-hmm. plants on the ground. And there's always going to be, I keep the same things, but I've been putting my Phlox paniculata in multiple places because it blooms late and it'll all come into bloom and it'll kind of tie the whole garden together. Mm-hmm. And so I divide a lot of my perennials and kind of kind of tie the whole garden together. And, yeah, I, and was, this year I've been adding mm-hmm. tons of variegated plants. <laughs> nice. And that always really, has really. a little bit of yeah. light, light yeah. in there. Yeah. Moonscaping, yes. Mm-hmm. And moon, nighttime moonscaping too. And the white azaleas are perfect for moonscaping. They yeah, almost they, are, they almost have that yeah. iridescent kind of glow to some of those flowers. Yes. yes. But I mean the, the variegated cornices and the hostas and mm-hmm. also hydrangea and the other uh, variegated things that I've been collecting are um all summer long and they kind of light up the landscape even in the evenings. Nothing. With a little yeah. tiny bit of outdoor lighting. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you for azalea chips is, is what to plant under um, other particular. So you mentioned the phlox, paniculata, the, and the ground covers. Actually, my phlox, I mean, the phlox stolonifera oh. is what kind of zigzags around underneath mm-hmm. my azaleas. But really nothing actually grows under the actual plant. Okay. It's, it's a low-growing shrub, and most of the evergreen azaleas I have have foliage that obscures the light from underneath them so that really very little will grow under them. So what it does is it fills in the spaces in between them. And um, the Uvularia, um, I guess it's um, Uvularia uh, orbiculata or perfoliata. It's a cute little Mary Bells Mm -hmm. um, that is kind of creeping around all around and under my azaleas in my front yard. And in my side yard, I seem to get this cute, cute little sedum that's just sort of spreading. And then I also have Veronica repens, which is just kind of filling in spaces. And then I have seedling columbine, and I also um, let them seed in their little patches. So one yard, one part of my yard only has the double columbine. One part of my yard has the uh, little tiny flabellatal nana columbine. And then um, I have the native canadensis, and then I have a a blue-white columbine patch over there and, and they're all separated and um, they, they sort of fill in and I have Phlox pilosa, Phlox solidifera, um, I've got um, I've got Lily of the Valley which isn't a native but it's fragrant, I love that mm-hmm. and I just, I have, I have Mayapple growing um, so I let a lot of stuff grow in between them like that. Nice. Yeah, and do you grow a lot of bulbs or you're mostly doing Tons. Tons, tons. I've got anemone blanda that fill in all along the sidewalks that have been just there for the whole 25 years I've lived here. Then I've got the little tiny crocus alpina that's seeding into the grass, and I love oh, that. Yeah. Then I've got snowdrops, and I have uh, iris, iris, uh, the little, um, the early iris reticulatas, and then daffodils and tulips. And now, right now I have alliums in buds mm-hmm. popping up here and there. And I have clematis, and I have little flowering vines all around the yard, um, and I have uh, let's see bulbs. You know, I don't really. I have a lot of iris, mm-hmm. different iris that I've gotten from people, different friends that I associate with that friend. So we're going to uh, talk about from the beginning when you bring an azalea home. Say it's you know potted in a five-gallon pot or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you bear roots? What do you do to prepare your soil? Do you pre-dig the hole? What's, what do you get when you bring that baby azalea home? Well, a lot of times it gets delegate, relegated to the to the uh, driveway garden, you know, for mm-hmm. a year or two or three or five. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> but, can relate. But, yeah. but then I also, I mean, I also have to either see if it's pot down, and um, a lot of times I'll um, plant them as they start flowering in my yard. I'll plant them and um, find a spot when it comes into flower as it's flowering. And um, I um, don't pre-dig a hole. I just use my soil that I've been um, not, I don't rake the leaves off my off my beds. All of the leaves that are that fall into my yard, 
get thrown around into the beds between the perennials and the azaleas and the rhododendrons and everything else. If it's too many leaves, then I bag them. But most of the time, I keep everything. And so the soil has a lot of duff on it. So I just sort of mix that in. And when I pop the plant out of the pot, I break up the root ball so it's not shaped like a pot. Um, you tease it out like sideshow yep. bomb. <laughs> and yeah. you don't you don't have to tear the roots and you don't have to rip them, but you want to kind of try to and hopefully they're not it's not too pot down. Mm-hmm. Um, as a grower, I've been a grower for 30 years. I never let my azaleas get pot down. I I let them develop roots so that they go all the way. You can see them all the way around in the pot, but you just touch it once with your hand and and it lets go of the soil and it's not pot down. It's and it'll go right into the soil. And when you when you shake it up or you tease out some of that soil, then you realize that the plant, if you were to set that that teased plant on your hand, it's only really about two inches till the crown of the plant starts, meaning that you don't want to um, plant your, your azalea too deep. Mm-hmm. So you dig a wider hole. You don't dig a deep hole. You just need a wide hole, like about twice as wide as the um, pot, and you just break up the soil in the hole, then you sort of slide it open, lower your plant in, and then pack the soil around those little root hairs, but not like a pancake and not mm-hmm. so firmly that that when it rains, the water bounces off. You want it to soak in, so you want yep. to leave little bumps on the surface of the soil, but pack it in really well so that if you tug on that plant, it doesn't just pop out again. And always, 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 I don't care if it just rains, water it in. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you need to water it in, Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> and and really, I mean, it's the best um, thing I do. And the soil breaks down and has good leaf litter. You add that's organic. It's, that's what it means. The zillions are low feeders. They just like humus and organics or or pine bark mulch or pine needles. I don't like those mulches that are dyed or mm-hmm. you know colored. Yeah. I don't. I'm not a big fan of of hardwood mulch. Um, you certainly could use it on along pathways or where places you're not going to plant in right away. But I believe that multiple uses years of hardwood mulch can can change the soil to mm-hmm. a not a good environment for azaleas. They like acid soils, so uh, we have naturally acid soils in our oak, hickory forests, pine trees. So if you have a few shade trees around. That's a good thing, and let them have that leaf litter. Um, mm-hmm. They will bloom in full sun. Most of the zellies that we have are hybridized from plants that grew on the tops of mountains in full sun, but they were also at 3,000-foot elevation. We are now in D.C., and it's very hot, and we have realized that to make an azalea happy, you got to get it out of the full sun and give it some dappled light through the summer, and the one thing that I can't stress enough is no azalea is too old to give it water once a month during the summer. They will die. Even the mm-hmm. old established plants will die, and those old branches will slowly die back if they don't get water once a month, a good soaking from June, once in June, once in July, once in August. That's all you need for those yeah. old plants. And I can't stress it enough. Water is the one thing that they miss when it's when it's not around. Nothing else mm-hmm. matters as much as water. Yeah, that's an excellent point because our typical summer will have drought, you know, for four to three months. And, yeah. yeah, in July, August, right. early September, and then so, last year we had a, yeah. a much more serious dire situation. So right. don't neglect those those older plants. Right. Right. And even if it rains a little bit, consider this, you're under a tree canopy, a lot of that mm-hmm. rain might hit those trees and never even get to the ground. So, you know, yeah. don't think that it rained enough if it's if you get a little bit of a rain or a little bit of drizzle for a little while in the summer. It's important to take care of them, and especially when it gets up into 90 degrees or higher. It's um, Azaleas are not from around here. Most of our garden azaleas are from high elevation, plant exploration trips in far off Asia, Japan, most of them from Japan. And Mm -hmm. the native ones that we have in our country are all deciduous. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
are and all understory trees. Understory and trees most, well. most of them are yeah. understory or they're high elevation, like uh, mm-hmm. rhododendron, Cumberland Dense is in full sun, and um, arborescence, I've seen it in full sun, and it just loves it up in the 3,000 or 6,000 foot elevation. Calendulaceum, rhododendron calendulaceum. Um, but others um, are definitely all along um, understories or with edges of forests, too, mm-hmm. overlooking stream banks. Not, they don't need to be sitting in water. I say they need water, but it means moist but well-drained, and um, you know it needs to have water can't be sitting uh, around mm-hmm. where you plant an azalea. I mean, it can oh. be soak it when it's watered, but then it needs to drain away that day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've, seen, I've definitely seen some rotting out where they're sitting in like low elevation. Right. Yeah. So I was going to ask you next about pruning azaleas. So that's okay. pretty much my number one azalea question that I get is renewal pruning of older right. azaleas. Well, like I said, I've already pruned them once this year just to get them out of the path. So a big old giant, beautiful karomi azalea, full bloom heavy with flowers, was overhanging my, my sidewalk. And so once it stopped blooming, I cut that whole entire branch out from inside the plant as far as I could reach and, you know, just remove the whole branch, and then you, you've done two things. You're going to push growth from the crown of the plant, which is a rejuvenative method of keeping the plant rejuvenated, and that's always mm-hmm. good. And it gets rid of that branch that was hanging over your path. And so that's one kind of pruning. Then you also have the kind of pruning that people like to have little shape plants. They always want to have that brown puff plant. Well, you do it, you shape your plant, you shear it immediately after it stops blooming. And that way you use really sharp hedge clippers if that's what you're into. It's not my thing, but you always want to make sure there's light all the way around so consider if you're going to make a round ball that you're actually making like a half half grapefruit shape. And say if you want it to be like a square, consider a cheese grater shape. Don't do a square, but make sure it's always there's, mm-hmm. there's a, a little lay, way out. Do it right after they bloom, and then you'll have flowers next spring because it takes all – you're catching it while it's still in its flush of growth, which it will keep doing till the end of June. And and so you want to do it as soon as mm-hmm. after blooming. And every plant, every different cultivar has its own bloom time. So just do it right after it blooms. And I've already I had rhododendron mucronulatum in bloom hanging over my sidewalk. Beautiful. As soon as it stopped blooming, I lopped it back. <laughs> and I took out that whole branch, and it still looks natural. So I'm not of the round ball type thing. I take out the whole branch, and it'll refill in very naturalistic. So I'm of the naturalistic shape um, school, but I don't um, I don't mind anybody who wants to shape their plants. So, but if you do shape your plants, you got to give them air circulation and space between things, and that's why I do that now too. Right after I my rhododendrons are starting to bloom, and I'm finding that that these azaleas have just sort of come in from both sides. Well, I just cut back some azaleas and just remove the infending branch all the way, mm-hmm. take it the whole thing out. And what you have behind is now I can see the rhododendron because all my stuff started out small and I need to give it, I need to give everybody a little fighting chance to grow <laughs> in my yard because I've got more plants than a, a yard should have. And, but I'm going <laughs> to make it happen. Yeah. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> I'm going to say that, that is the case for so many of us. Um, but pruning, squeeze um, it all yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Pruning to move things out of the way. I just my I just have this beautiful red maple that my girlfriend gave me ten years ago, and it was hanging and beautiful, and it was like ten years old Japanese maple, and it has beautiful fountain shape, branching fully leafed out, and I'm like, uh oh, this is going to grow into the dogwood, and it's going to hang over my path. So just when no one was looking, I cut the whole branch off yesterday. <laughs> Um, two in, inch and a half, two inch caliper. I just sawed it off and um, hit it, hit it, cut it, took it in the back and and broke it down and threw it in my compost. But um, so yeah. you know, I'm always pruning things out of the way and um, giving things something that's aggressive and giant, like my late blooming Robin Hill Gilly. I was cutting it back before it even came into bloom because I've left behind still mm-hmm. a beautiful shaped plant and. Um, 
I'm always pruning and taking out things and giving space to things and direct directional pruning. And that means taking it back to the next axle and the thing that you cut it down to is growing in the direction you want the plant to grow. And you always look at what your circulation is going to be, where the paths are, and you just kind of take away the offending branch, just remove the whole thing, and you'll go, you won't even miss it, I promise. You won't miss <laughs> and there's definitely, I would say, uh, people who have volunteered with you over the years have yes. learned some of that. Um, yeah. judgment and technique. So it's yeah. a great idea to get out there and prune um, with somebody who has done it before. It's, you but know, it's, it's called remedial and rejuvenative, <laughs> and it's so healthy for the plant to start new yeah. growth from the base. Don't don't remove those shoots. It's the same principle for all shrubs, lilacs, forsythia, everything. And yeah, and it and it did. It took me took some of my volunteers a few seasons to get it, the knack of the aggressive pruning for the whole picture. You're looking at mm-hmm. what plants are really big and aggressive. One's all not doing as well, but you still like them both. One is too big to transplant to move. So you just work with it, and you, you cut one back a little bit. You remove the entire branch that's pushing okay. into the one. Don't just chop it back and just shear it to that new dimension. You cut, remove the entire branch. Um, if, but... Every, everything is a choice with um, individual pruning, but I, I remove the whole branch, and it will never cause that trouble again. The, <laughs> what will happen is it will keep getting taller and bigger, and then it will start to lean over the path again a year or two or three down the road, and you deal with it again. Then mm-hmm. gardening is uh, that's a wonderful thing about gardening is it, it, it doesn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so forever. Yeah, speaking of, so you're talking about when they're starting to end their bloom, most azaleas are self-shedding. So you'll all of a sudden have that carpet, like that yeah. snow, snow of blooms underneath. Um, yeah. I do know a few um, azalea growers who, especially with the white azaleas, will actually go, because sometimes the white will turn to a kind of muddy brown, and yeah. it's kind of like old tissue hanging there, yeah. and then yeah. pluck off those blooms as soon as they're ending. So are you on that? Where are you on that? No, I don't spectrum? do it. I don't do it at all. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. take away. I have um, a beautiful white yoro growing underneath uh, Acer grisium, and the yoro now is just finishing, and its white flowers are turning beige. And they'll be they'll be gone in a few more days. They'll just blow away. And um, I don't have any petal blight here. I'm not going to treat them if that does happen, but it doesn't typically happen on the early blooming azaleas anyway. Um, it happens more once the temperatures get above 80. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I um, But anyway, and, and the last thing I was going to say is pruning for um, dead, dying disease. You do that any time. I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure I um, do that. And I always use a little hand saw, and, and I remove the entire branch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, any time of year, whether it's blooming or not, if yeah. it's dead, diseased, or has any issues with it, yeah. get like that out right away. Than the rest of the plant, like the rest of the whole rest of the plant is dark green, and then this one branch is light green, you yeah. know, that's a sign. That's what we call a sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. Take it out. Take it yeah. out now. Besides, it's better to get it out now, and you won't ever miss it. Yeah. So, with some of those, so when I... The only real um, pruning I do of my azaleas is taking cuttings for arranging indoors, and I find that they're really nice, long-lasting blooms indoors yeah. when you catch them when they first open. Yeah. Um, I, I have, like, one sitting next to me right now that's been blooming for two weeks in a vase. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I do that, too. I have some <laughs> in my yard, in my house, too, in a vase. I love it. Yeah, so don't forget about taking cuttings that way, but then also taking cuttings for propagation. So can you um, walk us through some of the steps? So there's two types of propagation um, that I'm familiar with, which is the cuttings and then the layering. Well, the layering um, is something that happens naturally when a branch is pressed against the soil and the mulch by its own growth for a number of years and then it roots and it starts to send out new shoots from there and you can easily separate it from the main plant by severing it by with a cut clipping and then mm-hmm. just digging it out. 
and I share plants that way, and it happens without my doing anything to it. It doesn't happen as well with upright growing, like deciduous azaleas. They seem to, they don't lean over and touch the ground mm-hmm. as easily, but the, it may happen this, but the, the other way that I um, would do uh, azaleas is cuttings, but um, cuttings in a home environment is, is tricky. I, I don't pers- personally do it, um, mm-hmm. but, but when you do and you can, basically you want to create a terrarium environment clean, sterile soil that's been pre-moistened and drained well so it's not just water slushing around. And then you stick the cuttings in that, usually sand and peat um, uh, about three to four inches deep, and you stick the cuttings in, say, an inch or two into that. You can use root tone. And you would cover it with plastic or a um, somehow seal it and it would water its own self. Hmm. And, and, and that's how people get cuttings if you don't have a greenhouse. Well, one year I attended the Baltimore Flower Mart, which takes place in early May in downtown Baltimore, and this little girl came by my table in tents, and she had cups with little azalea cuttings that she had propagated. Oh. <laughs> little styrofoam cups, and she was selling them for a dollar or two each, and so, you know, I had to buy them. I have Sweet. that plant now, 10 years later, and it is at the base of my gazebo. It is blooming up a storm. Oh, <laughs> well, that works. Yes. That sounds like that would work. What you want is the right amount of moisture for the cutting to root. And if mm-hmm. it wilts, then it won't root. And if you create, um, either you have a little misting house, and you, you have to make sure that this, the medium you, that you're rooting them into is well dra- drains well, otherwise it can rot. That mm-hmm. new tissue. So sand and peat is uh, often used, or perlite. And um, she she did it in little pots individually, in like little mm-hmm. Dixie cups. That's a really yep. clever idea. And a lot of folks, um, that's how they originally started sharing plants. And we even came up, one guy, uh, Guy Nearing, came up with the Nearing cold frame where you could overwinter them in pots without heat. And that is a... Um, a structure that is situated in a yard such a way that when it's open, it shades the containers inside mm-hmm. it. And when it's closed, it prevents the cold air from landing on them. And mm-hmm. that way they don't heat up in the summer, in the winter sun, mm-hmm. and they will still overwinter fine. Um, a lot of plants will die if they're above ground in um, pots, if they're not protected mm-hmm. from wind and things. So... That's your key is when you start the rooting, then you've got to overwinter them. And it's a big, long thing to get them hardened off to being outside. My my driveway garden is actually on the inside of my back fence, so it's actually after the driveway ends. So it's completely protected on three or four sides from wind. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, had I, had a gar- yeah. I had a gardenia overwinter this winter there, a mm-hmm. gardenia. So well, and, and it yeah. was a pretty mild winter. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that um, helped too this, this past winter at least. Yeah. And then the last way to grow plants, and this is how I got almost all of my deciduous azaleas, is from seed. Mm-hmm. You know, all my friends are growing all these vegetable seeds. Well, it's the same way with azalea seed. You can grow them, and they're easy, and you collect them in the fall. Um, you just want to separate the when you when you get a, collect a seed from any azalea, it's in a hard capsule, and that capsule tissue, if left with the seed, will decompose and and um, ruin your seed because mm. it, it'll cause a fungus to grow because that mm-hmm. tissue from the shell will absorb moisture. That's why you want to clean the seed from the capsule, and you select it, and you 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 can roll a pencil over the capsule and you separate the seed from the chaff. Is how they what they call it. And then you shake out the seed, which is sometimes the size of pepper, pepper grains, mm-hmm. and you shake it over top of, say, peat moss. You don't have to cover it, but you give it a little moisture, and it'll grow just like any seed. And then that's how I got all my rhododendron astrinums and my viscosums and my atlanticums here in my yard. And wow. Wonderful. Yeah. You have given me an idea for our Washington Gardener Seed Exchange. I am definitely going to collect um, 
seeds for my deciduous yeah. azaleas this fall yeah. and package them up for the seed exchange. That is it's a wonderful a idea. And when wow. you take the capsule off, it's, when the, the capsule is first formed, it's green, and then it goes mm-hmm. through a series of couple of cold nights where it turns to from green to brown. You want to collect them when they're brown, but before they sh- open. And, and okay. so, and then you keep them separate and by variety. Um, and you don't want them to be in in a moist like a plastic baggie. It's better mm-hmm. in a brown paper bag. I'm sure that's the same with all seeds. And mm-hmm. um, that's how I got a lot of my neat azaleas. But then, when they germinate, they can be a range of colors. And so I was able to hand pick the ones that I got that I thought were my favorite colors. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that. I so did you can do some some selecting of your own and then breed those on and then, again, select those again. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing any breeding. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. any breeding. I'm Mm -hmm. just collecting. I'm a plant collector like you. I'm not just a plant. I want one of everything. (laughs) Um, But I, um, I, I, you know, I've got all sorts of beautiful colors. And if something looks too similar, I'll dig it out. And I've already moved things. Um, I had Robin Hill Nigel, which is a low, sprawling, um, azalea red that was underneath my um, thinka, which was covering over top of it, which was in full bloom last week. And I just dug out the Nigel and moved it uh, uh-huh. already. And um, and I transplanted uh, a whole bunch, one that was about five feet tall. I, I basically dug it out. And it was easy to dig out. They, they don't have deep root, root systems. The plant was over tw- 10 years old. Um, I, um, the soil is wonderfully pliable right now. Um, mm-hmm. It took a week for the plant to stop wilting, even after I transplanted it. But don't sock it, soak it, and waterlog it. All you need to do is mist the foliage once a day for after you watered it in and transplanted it. You just mist the foliage and just kind of mm. keep it a little misty. But don't overwater the roots um, once you've watered it in once, but transplant it in it because it was so big and old and established that it took a week or two. And the first time we get into drought this coming coming up in June or July, I'll be watching that plant and making sure I give it some moisture on the foliage throughout mm-hmm. the summer. Oh, and, that's an excellent advice. Good. So I do want to ask you uh, mm-hmm. your opinion on reblooming um, azaleas, so like the Encore Azalea uh, line. Uh huh. Well, again, it's your choice, your own. What do you want your garden to look like in the fall? Mm-hmm. Um, those with um, those azaleas were hybridized by my friend Buddy Lee, who was noticing that they tended to always bloom in the fall, and he mm-hmm. just. This guy was a trained registered nurse, but this was his wonderful hobby, and he just went crazy collecting and, and looking for plants that grew, bloomed in the fall. And an azalea will set bud in the summer, and a lot of them will pop open on a nice little warm day in the fall. And he observed it. Some of them were more than others, and that's how he came up with the encores. And um, so when they bloom in the fall, for me, it's usually after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's, it yeah. doesn't, you know, they don't bloom all summer. They they just kind of bloom. And then when they do bloom, they don't open up every bud. The other buds that don't open, open that spring like normal. Mm-hmm. So um, they are um, spot, spot kind of 50% in bloom for our Yeah. And, I would um, describe that still, as they're yeah, very, very beautiful. Yeah. They're still very beautiful. And I, mm-hmm. I happen to have... Um, None in my yard. Um, don't know why. Um, I guess because they're uh, patented and I wasn't allowed to propagate them. So the only ones we ever I ever had in my possession we planted at the mm-hmm. Arboretum. But um, I do have the Camellia sasanquas that bloom in the fall in my yard, and I love those and the pink flowers. And yeah. But um, you know, I guess I don't really have I um I don't really have any but I still think there it depends what your your garden looks like mm-hmm. and what room you have. And I don't have any I don't have space to add I, I got I got like like I said, I got this big containers <laughs> lots to plant still. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that like you said, they're they are sporadically blooming, so you just get like a sprinkling, a little bit of a yeah. flush in spring and fall. Yeah. You're never going to get then, that huge show 
that you get with the spring blooming uh, right. azaleas. Correct. And it seemed to come in. They seem to come into full bloom around the 20th of November, mm-hmm. and then you get your first late, you know, your first winter freeze, and that's it. They're gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, they could last uh, longer if you don't get a hard freeze or anything, but um, they're beautiful. I have them planted together at the Arboretum, and that's what you would do is try to have a little cluster of them. And mm-hmm. some of them, are, I mean, they're very beautiful. So some of them would um, would be really nice. And one of these days I'll try to see if I can get one for myself, but I just have it. Yeah. I think I like, there's only a couple that I love, and I think that I love Autumn Amethyst. I think that's it. Yeah, I have Autumn Bride and a couple of the others, and I, li- I like them in containers mainly, like in a yeah. big container. Um, they, they tend to stay on the small side, which is fine. So I was going to close this conversation out by asking you, and I know this is like asking, you know, a mom for her favorite son, <laughs> for her favorite children. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, are your favorites, or which would you say this is the one that a beginner has to have? Oh, gosh. You know, I always say my favorite azalea is the one I'm looking at now mm-hmm. because I love them all. And I really do love the dark purples and the dark reds. So I love, you know, the hardy firefly, um, mm-hmm. which is the Karumi red. And I love the um, dauntless and cobalt um, of the Glendale. And I love midnight flare, the Harris. And I love Carafune, the, the um, Karumi. But, you know, they're all, all azaleas are shallow rooted acid loving plants. And they like the good organic, humusy soils. And, um, there's no one azalea that I would say would be a good beginner or first azalea to get. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that the Kurumi azaleas being that they bloom first with the daffodils and the dogwoods, to me, they're my favorites. They are mm-hmm. my absolute. The Kurumis are my favorites. They grow ultimately to, I've seen them six feet, seven feet tall, mm-hmm. densely, densely growing, full of smaller flowers, smaller leaves, but a beautiful form and shape that they can achieve as long as they get their water requirements met once a month through the hot summer months, like one or two inches of Mm -hmm. soaking, um, say one inch every two weeks or a good soaking once a month throughout the drought summer. And the Kurumis are the first to come out, and they're the harbingers of beautiful spring that, they're my favorite, and they, they're in the L colors. Um, you know, the ones that I have are not necessarily as available in the trade, um, but they all are at the Arboretum, and you should take a look and get your nursery to grow them because there's so many more, so many cool ones. Of the cool mm-hmm. ones. And um, how about your local Azalea Society? Would that be another great source? Um, oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, the, the the local Azalea Society um, in this area is uh, the most um, active and um, wonderful group of people is the Northern Virginia chapter of the Azalea Society, but there is also the Potomac Valley chapter of the Rhododendron Society, which is also extremely active in our area, and pretty much almost everybody belongs to both. <laughs> and I was going to say there's a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah. They really overlap, and yeah. um, I wish they would combine. Um, mm-hmm. With garden clubs being the, what they are, in my, this is my opinion, but, you know, we, we are, we're kind of not as large of a group as we used to be in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And garden clubs should band together, and, you know, you're, you've got a limited budget from dues and activities and plant sales and it would be I think um, it would be really great if if we could combine forces but Mm -hmm. yes it's a different it's a world both are world organizations so Mm -hmm. well thank you so much Barbara for spending uh, some of your retirement hours with us my (laughs) pleasure my pleasure gardening is in my blood I'll be doing that forever
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy dash gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. You can find Washington Gardener online at washingtongardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.